Hello everyone and welcome to the Desolation Sounds podcast where it is so hot. It's so hot and I hate it. I hate being hot. I hate being too warm. If you're having a good time in the heat, fuck you. It's just, it's so hot. My name is also Stephen Hook and this is still a podcast celebrating everything to do within the world of alternative music, be that rock, punk, metal or even extreme metal. Coming up in this week's show, it's still going to be hot as we talk about Chris Adler leaving Lamb of God. Like, that's kind of a big deal. Uh, we've got new music from Hawkeyes and Slipknot. Our reviews come from Full of Hell, Upon a Burning Body, and Fresh and our open mic night. If you're on Twitter, you might have been, you might have had it spoiled for you. I apologise, but I just had to say nice things about Keith Buckley. But it is Every Time I Die with their eighth and latest album, Low Teens. Oh, and there, come, there comes the death burps. Anyways, yes, it is currently like 104,000 degrees, which I'm not I'm not over-exaggerating at all, but it's just, just, just no, it's hot. And, you know, there's going to, <clears throat> excuse me, I saw a lot of people like, harp on about how hot it is, because it is a British thing that we will complain when it's too hot, because Britain... And there's a lot of people saying how this country, that country, is hotter right now, and they are they're coping just fine. British people are just moaning. British people don't get the heat, right? We just don't. We we are base level wet and windy. Like if it goes too wet and windy, it becomes like snow. We break as well because we don't have the facilities to deal with that. Just in the same way, we don't have the facilities to do if it's overly warm. Like this, the house I live in right now is great in the winter because it keeps in all that heat. But right now, because it's summer, it's still keeping in all that heat. We're not prepared for this. And I don't like it. I'm just... I'm very unhappy right now. But we will start with the news after all of that. And the... Pretty much the only bit of news, although it is quite a big deal, is... Chris Adler has left Lamb of God. He was the drummer since their inception in 1994. Um, all the way since their like Brent the Priest days. He's been absent from touring since 2017. Um, he had that brief stint with Megadeth, but he didn't want to commit full time. In 2017, he was in a motorcycle accident. And ever since then, he's been replaced by... The former drummer of Prong and the current drummer, I believe, of Wings of Plague, a gentleman called Art Cruz. And yeah, Lamb of God announced on their various social media the other day that uh, Adler has decided to permanently leave Lamb of God. I don't feel like there's any ill will anywhere. Um, Chris's brother is still part of the band. Um... Obviously, they have got the motorcycle accident to take into account. It's a shame because if it is injury that's forced them out, like it's it's a fucking horrible situation. But as far as I'm aware, from like recording, I don't think Chris has responded or made any sort of announcement himself. Um, like Slamagov have, so yeah, Chris Adler's out of the band there. Sorry, I've still got the still got the verbs. Their live drummer Art has been announced as a full time replacement for Chris, and yeah, they're going to be moving forward. Are they either about to go on tour or are currently on tour? And I imagine there will be more albums in the future with Art. And I've had the same number, same spam caller. Just call me at least once a day for the past seven days. Now they're trying to do it again. It's an 020 number. I don't know whether... Is that London? What does fucking London want with me? Fuck off, London. Anyway, that like I said, that is the news. I feel like it hasn't hit me quite as much because I am not the biggest Lamb of God fan. That's not to say I don't like them. Uh, my first full reign to Lamb of God was um it's called Resolution that white album they made in like 2013 
Um, and like the song itself was like very, very, sorry, the album itself was very, very okay. Um, but the song I really liked was the one that was like completely against what they do as Lamb of God. And that was the end song. Oh, it was Resolution. The last song, um, King Me, is a fucking great song. Like a big symphonic uh, groove metal thing, which I didn't really know was a thing. Don't suppose it is really. Um, but yeah, grand scheme of things, in the metal world, this is a big news ting because obviously Lamb of God are one of the biggest bands in metal. So I wish Chris all the best and best of luck as well to Art Cruise as well, trying to step into those shoes. Ain't gonna be easy. Uh, we also have a couple of new songs as well. First one is from Hawkeyes. I spoke about spoke about them last week in the Open Mic album with their first, second, and third album ideas. They the inspiration for that is because they've said they are going to come back and they've got a new album out called Advice that's coming out the sixth of September. They already had uh, Royal Troubles out which i at first i was very very disappointed by it was very meh um but in a time since i've proper come to love that song i was singing it all day the other day at work um and they've got a another new track from the album out it's called perfect again it's more like a i say bog standard alt metal there's no real like uh concrete thing for alt metal and oh my god leave me alone foul there's no concrete system for alt metal. Um, but like their Hawkeye's version of alt metal is like, it, it's, it's very powerful, of course, up to the chorus. And it's just the biggest stadium rock chorus Hawkeye's have done. Now, I was trying to like find other times they've done these big choruses. And the two examples I found was Sky Spinners from Ideas and die trying from i was gonna say knowing what you know now but i don't think that's right um like they've both got again those big choruses and abysmal everything is fine that was the album i was thinking of that's what this is is the ep uh so yeah die trying from everything is fine they both have big impactful choruses where um right not ryan sorry paul can really really flex his vocal muscles this just shits all over it. It's such a huge sounding song. And I think one that would do very well for them live when they... I don't know if they have returned live yet. I think they're gearing up. They're getting themselves ready. They're packing toilet paper and such. But yeah, very big fan of that. I'm very looking forward to advice. Like I said, it's coming out the 6th of September. And yeah, based on the Ideas album. Uh, even the Everything Is Fine album. I also really, really really like the everything is fine album please go listen to hawkeyes because they deserve everything um and in slightly no offense to hawkeyes and slightly bigger news uh there is a new song from slipknot it's called solway firth which i put into google apparently it's also a place all right um it is of course the second single from we are not your kind um which is coming out Halloween, of course it fucking is. And holy sh, that is a very, very heavy song. You know, it follows um Unsainted, which I thought was a really good song, anyways. Um, this is just fucking brutal. Like, I know they keep saying how there's gonna be comparisons to like Volume Three style of Slipknot, and if it's if I'm honest, it's not an album that I'm overtly like. Obviously, I know Volume 3 is not one that I can like, pick point characteristics of. But so far, everything's been more on the heavy side. Um, I already prefer these two songs from anything on the Grey Chapter, which I don't know if that says more about me or the Grey Chapter. The, the hypnotic, like, electronic back riff on the chorus is fucking astounding. Um, there's, like, a alarm synth that plays in between like the bridge from chorus to verse, which I think is really cool as well. Sid's mask is somehow more terrifying. Like, it covers up his entire face, and it's more like a wax over mask, if that makes sense. If you haven't watched um, the film FX, it's more like that sort of thing. 
and because all you can see is just his teeth moving and he will like gird and flex his face and it's so off-putting i thought his mechanical mask from all hope is gone was bad enough because it like would flex the eyes and he could like seal his mouth shut that sort of thing that has nothing compared to this it's like emperor palpatine fucking thing um yeah solway first it's from we are not your kind it's coming out the 31st of october and yeah that the song itself is so fucking heavy and it's so it's it is a good song i i'm not sure if i prefer it to unsainted i love love that um that chorus riff is like um i don't even know if it is electronics it kind of sounds like it's on like a really non-distorted guitar as well um but yeah that riff playing in the background of the chorus i really really enjoy that. i enjoyed that out of the entire song or more than unsainted but as an entire song i prefer unsainted to solway first at the moment i only heard it for like the first time uh yesterday day before only recently so only coming out fucking monday no uh cool that's news that's new music on to album reviews now and we're going to start with full of hell it is the seventh album it is called weeping choir it's a seventh and fourth i think because they do a lot of collaborative albums as well especially with a band called the body they're from ocean city maryland they play a very aggressive style of grindcore and last week musically was I'd say on the, the safer end of rock and metal, um, safer end of that spectrum. You know, we had uh, Jamie Lenman, Rhapsody, um, Royal Republic, Hawkeyes. Like, there's nothing there. Although the, the, um, Jamie Lenman and Hawkeyes, they've got tiny essences of extreme metal. I don't really think. It's quite the same as this week. Some of the bands from this week blast through like a gunshot on a school. And where better to start than a death metal incorporated grindcore album such as Weeping Choir by Full of Hell. Um, I know very little about Full of Hell backstory wise. I've heard of them for years. Reading up about them, they sound... Well, they are one of the hardest working and most creatively expanding grindcore bands going right now. Um, from what I've read, comparatively compared to their back catalogue, they are incorporating more death metal into later releases, especially on Weep and Choir. Burning Mirror. Is that how you spell it? Say that? Is that how it's spelled? Murder. Um, Burning Mirror starts proceedings as it means to go on. It is a blistering. Blistering? That's the right word, yeah. Why am I questioning that? A blistering barrage of blast beats. Um, they open the track and subsequently the record. They then lead into a trade-off between those blast beats from drummer Dave Bland and those just like horrifying shrieks from Dylan Walker. That uh, frenetic energy of sound that has endeared Full of Hell and why even after like i've read somewhere bizarre that well i've read somewhere it is bizarre this heat's killing me um there are like over 20 releases since 2009 it's like two a year but the energy and like the quality that goes into it the fact that pe people are still going absolutely fucking spanners for this record 20 releases 10 years on and people still acting like that it says more about Full of Hell than anything I ever can about them or their album. I really enjoyed the second song on the album, Haunted Arches. Kind of reminded me of... It's a cathartic mess. It reminded me of Anal Nathrak covering Acrophobic Nosebleed. Um, I actually found quite a lot of overlap between the vocal style of Dylan and... I. Is it... Shut up, phone. No, it wasn't even phone. That's my computer. Uh, is it um, David Kinney from Anathrak? Either way, the vocalist from Anathrak and vocalist from Full of Hell, Dylan Walker. I can see a lot of overlap in their vocal styles and how they sound. Um, and I, I really enjoy Anal, even though I can't remember the 
remember his fucking name, even though it's only fucking two of them. Um, so yeah, it's uh, scored early points for me. In true blue grindcore fashion, there's only two songs that exceed the three minute mark. The first one is Rainbow Coil, which is the noisy drone portion of the album. It is just an abusive wall of sound. It sounds like like just angry static. In fact, I put down that it sounds like, you know, I've seen a couple of these on Instagram and just various social medias. You know when it's got footage of a like a nuclear test, like think of um, Bikini Atoll, that sort of thing. They've got a nuclear test, they set the explosion off, and then obviously you see the big boom in the background, and then a few seconds later you have the sound of the explosion. It kind of sounds like that, just old-timely recordings of nuclear testing explosions from like the 40s and 50s. It's it's a very, very abusive, very almost painful noise that you just get barraded with but for, what is it, about three minutes? It's quite intense. And then the second song that goes even further than that, it is the like demonic like drone doom kind of thing, Armory of the Obsidian Glass. That's almost seven minutes long for a grindcore album. That's, that's an entire grindcore album in another grindcore album. Um, I've described it as funeral doom, not in the same way of actual funeral doom, where it's very like epic sounding doom metal, more in the sense of there's like this moaning, um, backing vocal or like backing sound that sounds like it should be like on the river sticks and just in the background, that gurning, that groaning, it's just, it. The afterlife ain't got shit on Army of Obsidian Glass. It's just quite an intense fucking thing. Elsewhere in the album, I I'm becoming a very huge fan of bands incorporating gunshots into grindcore. Like I heard it last year with Anarthrak. They put it. They timed their snare blast with artillery fire on the song Forward. That's a. I don't know what a stan is, but if I can turn artillery fire blast beats into a stan, I am all aboard that stan. Or, or something. How, did, how does Twitter do it? Um, so yeah, and Alice Dark did it on that. Full of Hell do it on Aria of Dual Tears. It opens with like artillery fire, and then the pace and the pattern of artillery fire is then matched with blast beats again from Dave Bland. And on paper, that should just be really shit. If you said to someone, I'm going to like try and do drum beats or like a snare beat to the sound of machine gun fire, that would be the most American wrestle metal thing you could think of. Like beer, eagles and American flags, but fucking... It's so cool. I really like it. I might just say more about me than it does about the grand scheme of music, but everyone loves this fucking album, so fuck you. I really, really like that. It does add that extra bit of danger to the album, which is already a fucking terrifying piece of music anyway. But I, yeah, like I said, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, Silmaril is one of the few examples of that low-end death metal grunt that I actually enjoy. Where it goes like, or you know, actually menacing sounding. I don't really like that. And I know there's a lot of like, there's a full world of death metal that do that. And you know, if you're into that sort of thing, fair fucks. It's just never been for me. Um, but on here, I did get get on board for it. I found it was quite not interesting. It's just it was just cool to listen to. Um, by the end of the album, it strikes me as an album. I wish I put a few more listens to on headphones um this week has been a lot of listen to it on like phone speakers or bluetooth speakers that kind of thing ironically i always find like the harsher genres like grindcore death metal black metal like the more extreme side of things they benefit more from being listened to on headphones because they're traditionally 
they've got a low production. Like, this has got great production because it's fucking Kurt Ballou from Converge, and he is a symbol of excellence for anything hardcore abrasive. But even then, to try and get the whole range of sound that bands like this go for, I think headphones are better because it is all fair. Like, it remains in one tone, I guess, one volume. Not one volume. No, I think I was, better, I was, I think I was close with tone. And... On shitty speakers, you just tend to lose it. Like, most speakers will do, like, the high-end sort of noises because that's where pop music lives. And as much as we want heavy metal and punk rock and that sort of thing to become a bit more noticed, most of the world will listen to high-end pop music. You know, that's, that's prerogative. And that's where companies will advertise to. So speakers on, like, my phone are great for the high-end stuff. I listen... When we get to the fresh album in a bit that was mostly just listened to on speakers because it's easy to digest that way whereas this i feel like i lost a lot of the album so i would i would do wish i could put more time on a headphone lesson for this um but otherwise i thought it was it was a very crushing album on its own it's not gonna be like an end of year one for me based on other reviews i've seen about weeping choir um and They've all got like the context of Full of Hell's back catalogue and their career to this point, and just like their general presence as context. They are creaming over this album. Like it is one of the definitely one of the higher end grindcore albums released in the past few years. So I'd, I'd say it's pretty good if you want to get into this world of grindcore and like the very extreme side of things. Um, I feel like Weeping Quiet is a good shout because production on it is very, very good. So you can take in all those uh, different sounds that they go for. And because they have got like a slight noise element as well, you've got like that back end industrial noise side of thing as well. Like for me, the first grindcore band I, left in, I ever listened to was Agrophobic Nosebleed. And their early stuff is quite difficult because it is that very, very fuzzy, low production stuff. When they get further in the career, their production gets a little bit better and that's easy to take in. Um, and same with this. You've got Grindcore, which just sounds almost like static white noise because the production's so bad and it's played so fast. Whereas this, it's played fast. Production's great, so it's just that. just It just feeds you in, just entices you in. And at least... That's what I thought of the way. Yeah, I could be completely wrong. You might hate this. You might not. It might be fantastic. Especially if you are a fan of Anamathrak. I thought, like I said before, there is a lot of crossover vocally and just musically as well. Just the aggression in there. Um, all Pigs Must Die and Trap Them as well. Go for any of them. I think uh, Weeping Choir by Full of Hell might be something that y'all be interested in. Right then. Moving on to... <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, next album is called Southern Hostility. Oh Lord. It is by upon a Yes. It is by Upon a Burning Body. Why do I struggle so much with that? It's album number five for the San Antonio Texan band. Um, and they play well they sort of like diverge from Deathcore into like a very groovy metalcore over the years. Um, more on that in just a second. Just to say it is... I'm still in the fucking squeaky chair. Um, it's the first album with the new bassist, Joe Antonellis. I hope I pronounced that right. It's not like one of those weird sun S's buggers. Um, and yeah, so a few... Many, many moons ago. When Upon and Burning Body uh, first broke out in the world, they were one of the shining lights of the then-emerging Sumerian core bands. Um... They had a very good look at the time. They were very sharp dressed. They had suits, brace, excuse me, braces. Um, and yeah, just just looked, just looked the part basically. And they would perform in that. And I imagine they must have got very fucking hot to perform in a three-piece suit every night. And the sound was big, meaty riffs covered by, or coupled with, sorry, Danny Leal's very, very impressive vocal range. Um, all opinions about upon and body aside and 
some of the questionable decisions they've made over the years, I really do like Danny Leal as a vocalist. Not a lyricist, we'll get to that, but as a vocalist, I think he's fucking great. And there is an argument that exists between what is the bigger or better album between 2012's Red, White, Green and 2014's The World Is My Enemy Now. Personally, I go for The World Is My Enemy Now. I just like the, mel- the choruses and the melodies a lot better than on Red, White, Green. Um, in The World Is My Enemy Now and Straight From The Barrio, which came afterwards... This sound, as I said before, the sound geared more from what was previously like a very groovy, very bouncy deathcore kind of style to a more groovy, melodic, hardcore kind of thing. On Southern Hostility, they go even harder into that US groove metal style. So think of like Five Finger Death Punch, Hell Yeah, Devil Driver, that kind of thing. Um, The song from Darkness is possibly the most Ivan Moody chorus outside of Five Finger Death Punch that has ever existed ever in the history of time. The album starts really well. Southern Hostility as an opening track is cracking. And this is from someone who I've said before I do not like opening tracks. I don't see the point in them. But Southern Hostility is a solid 60 seconds of just a slamming beatdown of again pretty like lame um, lyrics but it does get you pretty hyped and pretty psyched for the album Um, and from there it goes into King of Diamonds which is definitely one of the highlights of the album a lot of people be talking about King of Diamonds and I believe it is a lead single anyways the riffs flow really well into each other and like there are times on the album where riffs are very like stop start like this one's done we're going to move into this one now whereas this is very fluid very easy to go from one spot to the next and the pace of the song is up there to near thrash metal territory and then from there it's into all pride no pain which is a powerfully serviceable chugging like kyle core kind of song which is definitely the my most favorite way of ever describing a song ever and a song like all pride no pain really shows off the bass tone and I'm not, it's difficult because because you, it's, it's that eternal argument of because you can hear a, a bass guitar, that means he must be a great bassist. I, I can't say for certain whether or not um, New Boy Joe is a good uh, bassist or not. But I really, really like that like metallic twang kind of sound in a lot of um, core and deathcore style bands. I don't know what it is, I just really, really like it. I don't know if it's an indication of how good joe is or how good his setup is or whatever but yeah it's just something that i really go for and on all pride no pain you can hear it really well and on the breakdown it does hurt it does hit really well you know you'll have um like that chugging along breakdown you've just got what sounds like a kind of like a slipknot bat heat bat hitting an old beer keg just like that twang except masculine and yeah, I don't know what it is. It's just something that I've always been a fan of. And it's on All Pride No Pain a lot. And But coming out of All Pride No Pain, like in terms of the rest of the album, it's largely uneventful, is this album. Um, I mentioned before, From Darkness, it's very, very five-finger death punchy. Which is great if you like that sort of thing. But I don't. So I just... Uh, I couldn't... As the first time I heard it, and I heard like the Ivan Moody-isms... I couldn't move past it. I just can't not hear that anymore. And the rest, like the bulk of the album is so generic, it's hard to pick out individual points, good or bad, just because there's not a lot discerning it from the next song. Or even more tragically, there's not enough discerning Upon a Burning Body from the next band anymore. Which, give it a few couple of albums ago, they were so creatively different to other deathcore and uh, metalcore bands that they had their own individuality and they had their own personality excuse me it wasn't always a good one because like as i said before i won't go into it too much but they made some questionable decisions but you know now they're just very very cookie cutter diamond 
but not lack of lack thereof of diamond in the rough whereas the world before i knew what i was trying to say it didn't come out quite how i wanted it to though um it's just it's very chunky metal core wrist with either a really big melodic chorus or like a big gang vocal that all brings it together um and it's it's a damn indictment that one of the most interesting songs on the album, one of the most funnest songs on the album to listen to, is the 60 second long self-titled opening song. You know? Like, the best parts of Southern Hostility as an album are probably on par with, like, the worst parts of Reverence by Parkway Drive. And Reverence says, like, split metalcore fans and parkway fans straight down the middle so either way you look at it it's a pretty damning indictment i think um and that's like all of that so the shitty comparison to reverence for the record i quite enjoyed reverence i think it was all right um and i did used to really enjoy upon a burning body especially like i said the world is made of me now that's all ignoring the one problem and the biggest problem that Upon a Bone and Body have had since their inception is that they are just really shit at lyrics. Like, I I cherry-picked a couple here, but I walk alone, nothing came easy, my mother made me, but the streets raised me. Rappers started to stop singing about the streets about 12 years ago, you know? Uh, you better start running, the champ is coming. Didn't realise we invited John Cena. And I come from a darkness you'll never know. And I smell the fear inside your soul. Fuck! It's just a lot of cliches. And it's just bad. It's just really bad and bland and boring. It's hard work. Like, the positive from the album, I will still say King of Diamonds is a good song. Um, I also quite enjoyed Reinventing Hatred, track number seven. If... King of Diamonds harks back to like in the world as my enemy now kind of era. Then I see Reinventing Hatred as being more like a red, white, red, white, green era song. Um, it's a bit heavier, a bit crunchier. And then Soul Searcher as well. A little bit more bite in the vocals and the riffs are back up to a decent standard. I said at the top of the review, Leal is a great vocalist and he does do a good job on this album. He does do a good job. Yes, I'm going to stick with that. And I like him as a vocalist. I don't like as a person is questionable. I don't know him personally, but what he's done. He's just got really shit source material. He really does. And it's... it's to me, it is bland. But I know... I know the... People that were like this, like big American um, groovecore inspired metalcore kind of thing. And I know a lot of people will like a burning body, but will like upon a burning body. Fucking hell, it's so hard to say sometimes. Um, if you are a fan of Parkway, especially like their more latter end kind of stuff, um, Betraying the Master as well, or even Five Finger Death Punches themselves, give this a bash. It's called Sudden Hostility by Upon and Body. By that band I've been talking about. It's not for me. It's absolutely not for me. But it might be for you if you're into the sort of things. Parkway Drive, Train the Martyr, and Five Finger Death Punch. Last up for this week, then, uh, in terms of like new albums, at least, it is going to be the London-based emo pop rock indie mess that is fresh. It is their second album. It is called Withdraw, and. Quite quickly, I saw I've never heard of Fresh before this sense why there's like very little backstory for them. Um at least a personal one at least. At least at least. There's a lot of crossover I found between Fresh and a lot of the newer, like really exciting crop of brand crop of bands, fuck. That have been like popping up the past few years. They've got like a twinkly guitar. I was going to say play, but that's not the right word at all. It's not a sound either. Style? We'll go with style. A twinkly guitar style that's ripped straight from tiny moving parts. There's a brash, self-hating cynicism that's cut straight from the cloth 
off pop um an indie but with a bit more attitude vibe that's been made famous by nervous recently put it all in the colon report and the ensuing sound is still unique enough and fresh oh god no pun intended but fresh enough to give fresh their own identity i fucking hate that i've just said that i think i need a minute i'm not happy with myself uh, I love the fact that lead vocalist Catherine Woods, her accent is able to shine through. I don't know what it is. I think it's a similar thing to that bass tone from Upon a Burning Body. I love hearing accents. I think more British ones than American ones. I love hearing accents in rock music and metal music. I think it just gives the music so much more personality. I found out this morning trying to listen to... So I want to try and get in, listen to more hip-hop. And I found a playlist of... Because I've been listening to a lot of American hip-hop. I try to find some British stuff. Because I like to champion some British music. As it turns out, I fucking hate the British accent. All of them in uh, rapping, rapping grime. I listened to something today. I have no idea what they were called or what the song was. But I immediately turned it off. They went from... Like, Geezer Geezer London Boy. To... I think it was... Um, some scouse lad who sounded like he was having difficulty reading the n- lyrics in front of him. It's fucking awful. But in rock music, apparently, it's fucking grand. Um, that was a tangent. The opening track, opening title track, um, is a lot of lot of fuzz, a lot of grungy fuzz. Um, I'm scared to say shoegaze at this point because I know I say it a lot. And it's not a genre I am au fait with. So I don't want to use it incorrectly and get stabbed for it. Um, from the opening into Nervous Energy, one of the best songs on the album. The riffs sound like a tiny moving pop, tiny moving pop, tiny moving part with an indie pop filter. I'll get there. I promise. The heat, man. The heat. Um, there's like a country music style snare roll in the background. And again, Catherine can just hit those really soaring high notes with absolute ease. And it sounds fucking great. Um, If I'm honest from there, it's frustrating because I thought there was a bit of a dip from uh, going to Brighton to New Girl. And going to Brighton and the song after that, Willa, were both the lead singles on the album. Which isn't good considering... They're not bad. They're just, I don't think they're as good as the rest of the album. That's just, you know, again, it's a personal thing. This is a personal podcast. We are personal here. Um, they just didn't resonate with me as much as some of the other songs, especially songs like uh, Nervous Energy. Nervous Energy. <laughs> Nervous Energy and Getting Ready. God damn it. When can we f- stop recording? Um, I think things start picking up slightly on the bopper in over my head. Really lovely rhythmic snare in a somewhat morose guitar and vocal line. It was like a it was like a nice chill one. It wasn't just you know. God, I wish I could chill. Everything hurts. And then, as I said before, getting ready, getting ready is just so good. Oh my god. <laughs> Uh, it just kicks in and steals the show. The opening riff reminds me of Damn It by Blink-182. There is a huge, huge tour de force chorus that will erupt any show it's played at or any party or gang of youths that ever listen to this. It's fucking great. I love it. Um, I like the minimalism in the verses where um, bassist George Phillips and drum and drummer Dan Goldberg, they can carry the song just on the instruments. Like very minimal stuff from Miles and Catherine on guitar, and then it obviously all explodes into that really brilliant chorus. From there, from getting ready, um, the tail end of the album is just a fucking smash, one after another. Um, Punisher, bit slow down. Um, I need to make sure I get these words right. Bit more of a ballad of slow flagellation. I very almost put the w- wrong word in when I was typing these notes out. It would have been a very different kind. Of review then um, about the self-flagellation um, lyrically on par with pup in that regard 
and then it explodes into a full pop-punk rendition of Summer Lovin' from Greece, which usually I fucking hate Greece, but I'll allow it this one time. And it's more the same lyrically and nothing more... Oh, this, I'm sorry, this time there is more brass and less grease. It's a bit more of a folkier kind of thing. And towards the end of the song, it starts like... Um, the protagonist of the song, or I think the protagonist is actually Catherine. She starts building herself back up emotionally, which then goes into revenge... And it does go all in with like self-love, self-confidence, making sure you're getting like your life back on track again. It's quite cool in that regard to have an album like this. So it does tinge on the world of emo. It is quite good, cool to see a not recurring narrative, but just like a narrative to be carried across song after song. Like you've had. Punisher and nothing. Well, Punisher was um, like not a very good relationship. Nothing was putting herself down. And then Revenge is all about how, you know what? Fuck you, world. I'm going to be fucking living my best life. And what? So I thought that was really, really cool. I thought that was a really, really cool idea that they did. And in the end, I just thought this was like a fun little album. Um, even with, it, with that, what I consider a dip in the middle. I'm really, really enjoying... This new world of indie pop that I've discovered. Um, bands like Small Talks, Tallies, Buchan Gase, and Fresh. Along with, there have been a couple of bands that have incorporated indie pop into their sound. The other one I could think of was Swimmers. They've kind of done a little bit on um, Berkeley's On Fire. But Fresh incorporating that indie pop sound in with emo and pop punk. They are cousins I guess, in the musical world. And it, they flow so well together. And yeah, I think there was a cracking job on this. Uh, if you are a fan of Nervous, I spoke about them earlier. I spoke about Tiny Moving Parts earlier. Tiny Moving Parts a bit rawer, a bit close on that punk, punk spectrum, excuse me. Um, but just general songwriting and how they like riff and have their, like, their structure of the songs. I think there's a lot of um, overlap there. Also, Muncie Girls, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, it, ironically enough, going in and looking at Fresh, whilst looking for like comparative out, um, comparative bands, now has got me finding uh, I think it's the Petrol Girls and Muncie Girls, and now I've got their albums to listen to as well. So I think in a few weeks, I should have a Muncie Girls or Petrol Girls. One of them has got an album out this year, which I'll be reviewing in a few weeks' time. So... Full circle. Nervous, Tiny Moving Parts, Muncie Girls. If you go for any of them, if you already know about them and you already enjoy that kind of world, go give Fresh a go. The album is called Withdraw. I thought it was great. Um, dare I say album of the week? Oh, I think I might actually. Yeah, we'll go album of the week. Good, good job, lads. And yeah. On to then the open mic album for the week. And like I said, if you follow me on Twitter at Is it Desolation Pod? I think it's Desolation Pod. Um you will had you would have had the spoiler of all spoilers when I said last night at about fuck about one or two o'clock in the morning that it was going to be this album. So if you want more spoilers in your life why would you? But do feel free to follow me on social media. I need attention. Um, the album is called Low Teen. It was the eighth album. Is the eighth album. It will always be the eighth album. By Every Time I Die. It came out in 2016. Every Time I Die from Buffalo, New York. Play a southern rock tinged version of Metalcore. They are very, very popular. Very, very good. And very, very lovely. Uh... Context for me thus far with Every Time I Die, they are a greatest hits band in the fullest form. Dribs and drabs here and there from albums like Gutter Phenomenon, X Lives, and from Parts Unknown. But a similar kind of thing to Lamb of God, I've just never took the time to really go fully in on an Every Time I Die album. Um, again, it's not to say that they're bad or anything or I don't like them, it's just I just never have done the thing. Um, and as a man who puts his heart and soul 
into every album and that's pretty much what I've heard a lot about from Keith Buckley. Low Teens has a lot more raw emotion and personal afflictions this time from Keith compared to other outputs due to circumstances surrounding him at the time which I will allude to a lot I don't want to go fully into it because I don't want you know it's it's not my stories to tell to be honest um, the opening track Fear and Trembling is just this riff laden uh, sludge stomper and it has the line when I robbed two early graves I was sick with grief and that regards to his wife and his newborn and I encourage you, because he, ha he has spoken about it. That's why, again, it's not for me to say. But you go out and find the story behind X oh, sorry, Low Teens. It's haunting. And then you get a, li a line like that, and it's just... Tongue-in-cheek doesn't cut it. It's just incredible. It's so deeply personal, but so cleverly written. And that's why Keith quite rightly is regarded as just such an incredible lyricist um and yeah like even going into this i already knew how good a lyricist he was because it is the first point of note whenever every time i die i'm mentioned in any of the podcasts or any of the show or anything like that um reading his lyrics on their own is just an entirely different experience of its own like in C++, it is harrowing giving the context. But it's also kind of beautiful because he's talked in interviews about how death is a taboo, yet it is inevitable. And he sees it as it can be an option. Um, one of the uh, interviews he did, I can't remember what the source was, but he basically said, if you see like a loved one sick or unwell, you always want to say that, I hope they get better. Um they need to pull through and that sort of thing and his argument is sometimes just letting them go would be the better option for them fucking dark shit is what i'm saying like goddamn um other lyrics on the album although a lot of it does cover his um wife and child from like that time in their lives they also cover um cover the cult as he describes it of sobriety after he quit drinking and acknowledging that when things get bad, they can actually get much worse. Musically, it is a fantastic foray into the into battling mouthcore and sludge metal riffs in in with uh, over the top hardcore rhythm sections. It's almost well, the almost like jazz, but with cocaine style drumming from Daniel Davison, who. Would actually leave the um, the band not long after the album was released. Kind of annoying, um, but Daniel at times like the roles he has on verses on songs like "Awful Lot" and "Justice Rule," but not as brightly lit. It just adds to the chaos and adds to the unpredictability of the album. And I thought it was like a really really cool touch. With all that being said, though, regarding how like it's crazy, I really really love the songs that inject a bit more melody melody into the band. Two Summers, I think, has a... It's a bit feels like a bit of a runoff from Keith's time with the damn things. Map Change has some really musically emotional, melodic moments throughout. That's a difficult thing to say. Um, to the point where it's almost post-hardcore at times. Um, but the truest form of melody comes in It Remembers. Um, it's a song featuring Brendan Urie from Panic at the Disco who does such a good job such a fucking good job doesn't take away any of the edge from every time i die um keith has a bit more of a relaxed goth rock almost style of execution and it's quite interesting to see that brendan is the more he's more of the aggressor in the song like that it's a really interesting role reversal where Again, Keith is the one who's a bit more laid back and subdued, whereas Brendan is the one who's like hitting those like big notes. He's not harsh singing at all. It's all clean for Brendan, but he has just got like the bigger persona in the song. With, oh sorry, without context of 
Every Time I Die's back catalogue, I do think this is a good album. It wasn't quite the level I was expecting, though. And I can't put my finger on what it is. Um, I like the sudden twist they put on things so they don't fall in the carry of just another hardcore band or just get lost in the mix. Um, and as I was reading more about the story behind Low Teens, I find myself more drawn to that and the lyrics that Keith created from those experiences than I did the actual music on the album. If anything, because like, like I said, I don't think this is a bad album. I'd say this is around like a 7 out of 10 for me personally. Because of that, and because a lot of people consider Every Time I Die a solid, like, 8 out of 10 album. For a set, sorry. People consider Every Time I Die a solid 8 out of 10 album band. Everything is that level. I'm intrigued to go back and find, like, there's, there is a solid chance that along the way, if I do go through a lot of Every Time I Die's back catalogue, there's going to be a point where the penny will drop and I'll say, oh, fucking, there it is. That's why Every Time I Die are um, one of the best bands on the planet. But for now, lyri lyrically, compared, especially compared to the Upon a Burning Body album, I thought, or I think, Keith Buckley is just nuts as a lyricist. He's so, so good. Um, the album itself, it's good, not as good as... I built myself up for it to being but you know that's either a me thing or i just gotta i just got to try harder um if you are a fan of cancer bats norma jean or comeback kid i do encourage you to look at this or just every time i die in general definitely look at the backstory for low teens and then it there is a happy ending i promise you it's the, like the album makes it sound very drab and dreary because it is but there is a happy ending, so I do encourage you to go look for it. The context of the story compared with the album, it just makes it a different kind of experience. And one that, you know, if Keith's willing to put it into song, I think we can handle listening to it. I think we owe him that much, I guess. That's a weird thing to say. That feels like a weird thing to say. But there we are. That is Desolation of Sultans. I hate the heat. That is the Desolation Sounds podcast for this week. If I concentrate, I can get it right. I just don't need to concentrate often. Next week, we will have Aaron West... Fuck! Aaron West and the Roaring Twenties. I'm from the West Country. We don't do R's and W's very well. Um, I've already started listening to the Aaron West album. It's so fucking sad. I've nearly cried twice so far. Jesus shit. Um, Aaron Rest in the Warring Twenties, sure, I know I've misplaced the W there somewhere. Destrage and Vonis. Vonis? Vonis? I'm gonna stick with Vonis. All that's coming up next week, along with all the news that may happen between now and then. Uh, this week you've had Full of Hell, Upon a Burning Body, Fresh, and Every Time I Die. Hope to see you all next week. Feel free to come say hi on social medias. I just, like I said before, I need attention. I desperately crave it. I hope. It stops being hot soon. I can't deal with it. I've got fucking sweaty tits. That's what I got. Walk away from this podcast with that image in your mind. Sweaty tits. And yeah, I've got nothing to follow up with that. See you next week. Bye. <laughs>